You're listening to the Scotiabank Market Points Podcast. I'm your host, Greg White. Market Points is part of the Knowledge Capital series, a collection of audio, video, and written commentary from Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets leaders designed to provide you with timely insights and analysis. China appears to be at the beginning of a recovery, while the world's largest economy, the United States, is still reeling from the effects of COVID-19. Emerging market economies around the globe rely heavily on the health of these two giants for trade and investment. But which countries are exposed to greater risk due to additional domestic weakness? And which nations could recover ahead of us all? On this episode of Market Points, Scotiabank Associate Director and FX trader Bertha Arroyo shares an update on the opportunities and threats facing the emerging market economies in Asia and Latin America. Hi, Bertha. Thanks for joining us in the podcast today. Hi, Greg. Nice hearing from you. Bertha, when you're thinking about how emerging market economies have um, specific struggles in the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, what are some of the key differences between their challenges and, let's say, the challenges that we face here in Canada? Yeah, that's that's a very interesting question. So in the in the case of developed countries such as Canada or the U.S., uh, you have countries with strong governance capacity. You have very well-equipped healthcare systems. And then you also have the possibility of issuing reserve currencies such as the Fed or ECB or BOJ. So in the, in the case of developing markets or emerging market economies, they, they're currently facing a multi-layer crisis. First of all, they are facing a health shock as they, as they definitely have a way more limited health system capacity compared to developed countries. Then also they're facing the domestic economic re- disruptions related to COVID lockdowns. Additionally, they're facing ex- external demand shocks. Most of these emerging market economies are commodity exporters, and there's been a collapse in commodity prices. And finally, I think which is more important is borrowing constraints. So emerging markets have these special circumstances that they have to consider that make this situation more dangerous for them. Um, at the same time, from a reporting perspective, at least the numbers we're seeing, the United States has suffered the greatest uh, across the globe. Which emerging market um, is most connected to that? Which um, which country is in the riskiest position because of their uh, connection to the United States? Mexico. Mexico has a high degree of dependence to the U.S., as close to one-third of the GDP depends on ex- exports to the U.S., and that's not including money coming from remittances or tourism from the U.S. So definitely uh, Mexico right now is one of the most vulnerable uh, emerging market economies. And that's that's been shown in the way the Mexican peso has performed. So dollar Mex right now is one of the worst performing currencies year to date. It's down uh, almost 25% on the year, year to date. Now, on the positive note, Mexico remains one of the highest yielding currencies in LATAM, and as yields around the globe continue to contract, Mexico still has an appeal for investors as a carry trade. Once, obviously, volatility eases, right? Carry trade happens when when there's no volatility. So as long as volatility persists in the pair, we're we're not going to see yet these carry trade investors. Was Mexico already in a recessionary period entering 2020? Yeah. Uh, yes. So Mexico already started with vulnerable conditions as they 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 come from years of disappointing growth, and they were officially declaring recession last year after uh, after they had a flat GDP in 2019. 
and investors were already spooked by AMLO nationalistic measures as well. So what kind of action are they taking from a uh, fiscal stimulus perspective and um, how does that compare with, for instance, other countries in, in Latin America? Uh, well, you have Brazil having a 10% of GDP fiscal package. You have Peru with a 12% GDP fiscal package. Mexico has only announced a package worth 0.7% of their GDP. So despite the fact that they're like one of the most severely hit economies, they are the one that has announced the smallest fiscal package. Well, China's coming back now. Will that uh, start to uh, help out some of the other emerging markets? We've seen, I mean, China is, is a big driver for all emerging markets. So whatever happens in China really impacts most of the the other commodity exporters. So interesting enough, uh, countries such as Brazil, Peru, Chile, they're, one of their biggest export partners is China. So they're more impacted about what China does than what the U.S. does. And so what about China's uh, emerging market peers um, in, in Asia? Um, is the, are there circumstances tied to China like LATAM? Uh, EM Asia, it's, it's, it's a very different story to LATAM. Uh, it's the only emerging market group that is expected to have a positive GDP growth in 2020. This is a, a statistic from IMF. They're expecting it to grow uh, 1% with both China and India being the main growth drivers of the group. Now, why is this different from LATAM, right? I think because uh, Asian currencies have better fundamentals uh, based on current account, exposure to oil, and fiscal balances versus other EM, like I was mentioning earlier, LATAM. South Korea is in the news cycle, always cited as a, a strong example of a country handling this crisis and um, starting to come out of it. Uh, what about other Asian economies like Taiwan? Yeah, so both South Korea and Taiwan, they both have emerged as a gold standard in terms of uh, coronavirus, as they both have done uh, such a good job containing the outbreak, better than most of its peers, without having to impose drastic mobility restrictions of or national lockdowns. So definitely, in this sense, both countries uh, should avoid partially the demand shock that we've seen in other economies. Nevertheless, as the rest of Asia, both countries are not immune to a global slowdown as lockdowns within key trading partners such as Europe or North America will definitely take a toll in their economies. Now, stimulus packages should have helped ease some of the negative effect of the global economic slowdown. So both countries have implemented stimulus packages, measures that account to about 5% of GDP. Now, in the, fact, in the case of Taiwan, we, we expect our Taiwan to remain trading around 30 in the one month, in the one month NDF, but uh, definitely we expect it to continue to outperform its peers, such as China or Korea. Now, overall exports year over year down 0.6%, still better than what market expected, as we're starting to see that the trade with Japan, US, and Europe has started to slow down. Nevertheless, the trade with China has remained uh, well supported, which is interesting to see. So what what is the composition of that uh, that trade with China? So for instance, uh, Taiwan Taiwan's tech sector has continued to outperform even even during the crisis with tech exports they're up around 18% year over year in March, uh, especially the exports of electronics and information and communication technology products which represent a big part of their total exports almost about 40% of their total exports nevertheless we've seen a slowdown in in the non-tech exports which makes sense 
as uh, we have like uh, depressed oil prices and weak external de demand across chemi chemicals, metals, and machinery products. So what's the net effect on, on exports here? Is it ultimately still being pulled down because of the global slowdown? The last data, which was export orders in, in March, was up actually 4.3% year over year, which is the biggest gain in 17 months. And now that's why uh, most analysts are saying that Taiwan right now it's a diamond within emerging markets, as we have not seen yet a slowdown based on all the economic data that has come out. The, this increase in export orders is explained partly because uh, China has resumed production after being shut down January and February, and also because uh, importers around the world have started to look to diversify supply chain risk away from China, and Taiwan has been one of the most favored countries for that. Has there been any um, uptick uh, related to businesses having to sort of quickly react and invest in technologies um, that allow a bunch of workers to work from home across the globe? Has that kind of yes. impact been felt in, yes. in exports already? Exactly. That's the re And I was reading about that. So one of the reasons we've, we're seeing a strong Taiwan tech sector is because most people have started to work from home and that require more computer products. So that actually helped Taiwan. And what about South Korea when you're thinking about trades? So South Korea is also one of the good examples in terms of PM. So we had the victory of the, of the South Korea Democratic Party in April 15. And this has seized poli political uncertainty and makes it easier to approve further fiscal stimulus package. So that's very good for uh, Korea. Now, nevertheless, we started to see, so I was mentioning before that we have not seen yet a slowdown in uh, exports from Taiwan. Nevertheless, in South Korea, we started to see a hit from this economic slowdown. So exports in April reported were, were down 27%, which is the lowest level they've been since 2009 in the first 20 days of April. As the trading with its biggest trading partner, China, uh, dropped 17%. Nevertheless, Korea is also an oil producer, so they, they've been impacted negatively because of that. But overall, we're, uh, because of the, uh, how good they manage the, the outbreak, how they haven't had the demand shock, and also how active the government has been to implement a stimulus package, I'm still op pretty much optimistic uh, Korea. And I think for now, uh, I... I like being a seller of dollar Korea in the one month NDF around twelve thirty, twelve fifty area, uh, targeting a retrace back to twelve ten or even eleven ninety once all these uh, COVID nineteen pandemic eases. So Korea and Taiwan are starting to benefit from China reopening, um, but as I understand it, there's still some nerves around uh, the fact that they haven't released a, a large stimulus package. Why is that? Because in 2008, 2009, they did pull the trigger and then, and they definitely went big on the fiscal policy side, therefore avoiding uh, economic construction in, in the region and to other commodity exporters. But this time they've been very, very shy. So right now the fiscal policy package that they implemented, it only adds up to 3% of their GDP, which versus its peers like US, Japan, it's very small package, and they mostly had target measures to help sectors that have been the mostly impacted by COVID-19. 
but uh, as of now, I think what they say is that they want to they want to focus in in sectors that have been affected, trying to ensure that the uh, that the payments that the payment system is not affected. They're trying to provide liquidity in the market. They they announced a bunch of liquidity mentions. They cut rates to to help uh, small and medium companies, but that's been about it for them. So they have some programs in place. What are you seeing so far in the data with respect to the Chinese economy? And um, what does positive numbers, or at least the tracking of, uh, of positive numbers in, in China mean for the rest of the world? Now, in China, most of the of the COVID shock is concentrated in the first quarter. And we have already seen a recovery on the data in March versus January and February. Uh, last week, we had the GDP first quarter release. And this showed that there was the recovery was faster in the supply side than in the demand side. As the, so in the demand side, we're seeing a big contraction in fixed in investments and retail sales versus industrial production. We've seen that most companies have already resumed production. So what this says is basically that it's easier to open back factories than to make people spend. And people are not really willing to spend until this COVID-19 situation is, eases. So that's going to like this uh, data in China is going to let you know what's going to happen all across the globe, right? So this is like a window to the future. That was Bertha Arroyo, Associate Director and FX Trader at Scotiabank. You can find more thought-leading content from Scotiabank on our website at gbm.scotiabank.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at ScotiabankGBM, as well as our LinkedIn showcase page under Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets. Please refer to our legal disclosures on our website. Thanks for listening.